My name is Sam Shidei, and I am a supporter of FC Zagpaluk. My name is Sean, and my pronouns are he, him, and I am also a supporter of FC Zagpaluk. Hi, guys. Hello. How are you doing? It's it's a beautiful day here uh, in our part of the world, so uh, yeah, I definitely can't complain. I can never complain when the sun is shining, and it's not 35 degrees. <laughs> or hotter. Or hotter, so it's good. First things first, cheers, guys. I, of course, yeah, have cheers. some whiskey. You guys have been kind enough to buy your own coconut water. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Oh, well, if you want to buy us some whiskey, I mean, we wouldn't complain about that either. I don't know if the two mix terribly well, but we could experiment. I mean, if it's for science, we See, could probably had, come up with something. If I had known that this was a whiskey podcast, I would have shown also up with whiskey. Yeah. One of the club sponsors is Jack Daniels. So, I mean, we we sometimes have a bottle lying around for for such an occasion. But uh, yeah, coconut water is, I find, a beverage best shared with friends. So uh, yeah, it it's perfect. I'm so glad you guys are drinking coconut water. It's a gag that I want to bring back to the podcast. And also I'm thinking, in, and purely inspired by you guys, I'm thinking now is a good time to do some uh, podcast merchandise with uh, with coconuts. It'll be interesting. Some some faraway fans, private label, premium, exclusive coconut water. I think you could make it happen. I think you should make it happen. I should. I should. So, my first question, how and why St. Pauli? I'll let you take that one. Well, it's, yeah, I, I, I seem to be the instigator. So, um, so once upon a time... Um, someone that I was going to college with got an order from a football shirt distributor based in the UK. And they always included a paper catalog and I'm a bit of a football shirt nerd. So he gave me the catalog when he was done with it and I leafed through it and I saw in this catalog half a page dedicated to this club that I'd never heard of before but it seemed very strange that they had dedicated this amount of space to this club. Not in a million years do I think I would have heard of it otherwise. And they had two crests. There was a skull and a crossbones and a red gate. Kind of looks like a castle or a cathedral, but I've come to learn it's, it's a gate. And a couple of football shirts. And the football shirts were really cool. One was like kind of a, a beige, kind of very subtle camo pattern. And the other one was black with kind of a splotch over it. And it was the kit of FC St. Pauli. And that's where the seed was planted. At the time, I was a Liverpool supporter, or at least I thought I was a Liverpool supporter. Mm. I, um, it was kind of the latter days of the Spice Boys era of Liverpool. And that's, that was kind of my, my entry point into football um, at the club level after World Cup 94. And so I think McManaman had already left the club and I think Fowler had recently left for Leeds. I was like, Oh, well, the squad is changing. And I, I, I can't seem to get up early enough in the morning to, uh, to go down to the pub and watch the game. So I was like kind of slowly growing away from Liverpool Mm. and, you know, I, I was on again, off again. And um, when Jamie Carragher, kind of the last of that generation of footballers retired from Liverpool. I just, 
you know, I didn't recognize any of the faces anymore. I hadn't really been keeping up with the squad or the results. Right. Uh, I'd completely missed um, the the miracle of Istanbul right. completely. I read about it in the, the papers the next day. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We won the Euros or the European Cup, I guess. Neat. And that that reaction should probably be a little stronger if it's a club that you you are in love with and you truly support. So I, yeah, I'd, I'd slowly grown away from Liverpool and then I'd run into this beautiful young lady at a pub uh, to watch a, uh, a world cup match in 2010. And we kind of hit it off and she liked football and I liked football. And, but, but the one thing that I, I was pretty sure of is that I didn't really care about Liverpool anymore. I mean, there was, there was a bit of, of, uh, of banter and some sniping back and forth, some, some playful jabs, but uh, you know, the passion wasn't there. I, I, she could make fun of Liverpool all day long and I just (laughs) didn't really care. Um, And she did at great length. Mercilessly actually. But she was, she was still, and I'll, I'll let you tell your, your club allegiance. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I was kind of done and I, I wasn't into the, the, the premier league so much anymore. It just like the money in the game had completely exploded and it just, it, it just didn't seem like the game that I originally kind of fallen in love with. And I know that's the beginning of the premier league, but I mean, there's been such a progressive curve of money going into the game. It just didn't feel right anymore. And I got to think, well, what's next? Uh, I love football, but I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling Liverpool anymore. Well, okay. I'll, I'll try on the Barcelona moniker for a little while. They're, they're kind of an interesting club. They've got cultural roots. Yeah. It just didn't feel right. It felt very plastic. Mm. Um, And then my mind got to wandering back to that fateful day in 2006 when I saw this catalog. Mm. Um, I thought, well, what about that club? Who are they again? Let me look for a football club, Skull and Crossbones. And it led me to start researching about FC St. Pauli. And it made me realize that I, I wasn't a Liverpool supporter. I, I, I was, it was holding a place in my heart mm. for the day that I found FC St. Pauli. And that has been like a perfect fit from the moment that I looked them up on, on Google and started researching and finding about the political values and, and the history of the club mm. and how those things aligned, like, right. like a jigsaw puzzle piece clicking into place. This, this is it. It's not that I loved Liverpool. And it's not that I ever fell out of love with Liverpool. It's that I hadn't found my club. Mm. So the old saying, uh, the old quote from Eric Kantner, you can change your religion. You can change your wife. You can change everything about yourself, but you can't switch clubs. Mm. I hadn't, I hadn't found my club yet. And, and ever since then I, I live and die with this team. It's, it's so completely perfect. Um, growing up, my best friend is from Turkey. So we would spend Saturday mornings together. And what we had in Canada was soccer Saturday where they would show like extended highlights. And that's how I first started watching football. And that's how I found Manchester United. And so I grew up watching Ryan Giggs, Lee Sharp, you know, kind of like really early days, Beckham. He was never one of my favorite players. Um, 
but like that's the era that I grew up and I was fully invested. Like I completely thought that they were my club mm. and I was fine after Sir Alex Ferguson retired. I hung out through Moyes. I hung out through what's his face. I can't remember his name. Mm. Ugh, I can see his face. It's like a potato. Who is the guy that everybody calls a potato? <laughs> Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I yes. know. And, but the nail in the coffin for me was when they hired Jose Mourinho. So I was like this, my club, if this was truly my club, they never would have hired Jose Mourinho. And to me, that was the nail. And I could never, I never could go back from that. And I completely stopped watching football, which is not in my DNA. I don't think like, because I, I am the one that would get up at four or five o'clock in the morning, go to a pub, find a really bad stream, get viruses on my computer. I didn't care because I needed to watch it. You know, when he was talking about me teasing uh, him about Liverpool, I was the one that was dragging his ass to the pubs at like five o'clock in the morning. And then eventually he's just, he's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, forget it. Forget you. The only <laughs> Manchester United supporter in the Liverpool, the Calgary Liverpool Supporters Club bar cheering wow. against Liverpool with me just in the corner wow. of the booth. Like, Amazing. oh God, I, I'm going to get my backside kicked <laughs> through this pub. Stevie G's last game, we were in oh this pub God. and he gets his red card and it is silent except for me cackling. Just, <laughs> I couldn't help it. I thought like, this is like the perfect thing. And I was laughing. And I don't know how they didn't kill me. Like if they Maybe were, no, they really should have like, you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I had never heard of FC Zang Pauli, but Sean had started talking about it. And I've always been transparent about my beliefs. I've always been um, anti-homophobia, anti-sexism. I'm out of the pair of us. I think when we first met, I was very much on the far left compared to Sean. Um, and so that's how he was introducing me to this club. He's like, well, it's this football club and they've got these values and they match your values. And I was like, well, that can't, that's not a thing. Like, yeah. Oh, and by the way, there's a skull and crossbones. By the way, there's a skull and crossbones. I'm like, what? 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 Hello? Hi. <laughs> Which is a horrible thing to say because like, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, long-term St. Pauli supporters kind of blast people when they bring up the the skull and crossbones because it's like that kitschy kind of thing to you know ed sheeran where has a skull and crossbones t-shirt right and sean always used to call me the silverware polish addict because he says that recovering I, recovering so you know i stopped watching manchester united when they stopped winning um which is ironic because he also stopped watching liverpool when they stopped winning <laughs> but neither here nor there um but you know but it was like this club and i was like oh my god this football is bad it's bad it's so bad Oh, but I can't stop. Mm. And it's, I haven't looked back since. So ironically, our love of this, you know, anti-fascist football club that, you know, tries to eschew a certain amount of commercialization, although we own a lot of St. Pauli merch, the road that got us down to where we are now is through, of all things, a, a football shirt catalog from a company in the UK. Yep. A funny story about Soccer Saturday. So. Our national lottery company launched a program for sports betting uh, very early on. Pre-internet. Pre-internet. Okay. Very much pre-internet. And um, someone had the bright idea of launching a soccer line. Okay. And so they based all of their stuff off of Soccer Saturday. What they didn't realize, however, is that Soccer Saturday was a week delayed. So a lot oh. of people for a very short period of time made out like bandits. Whoa. 
placing bets on soccer in Canada because no one realized at the National Lottery Corporation that it was not the freshest information available. Wow. So that's tell, a little aside. Tell me somebody bought a house with their winnings or something. Something amazing. <laughs> I, and I bet you that's what happened. I bet you someone put like a $5 stake down and they got their their 20 or 40 or $50 and then upped it a little more and then probably got greedy and then like... Ruined it for everybody else. Ruined it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I I hope whoever did that really is enjoying their their lovely house right so. now. <laughs> I hope so, man. <laughs> it's amazing that that rivalry is sort of the backdrop for you guys to really, you know, connect and then have this journey together with St. Pauli. That's amazing. I'm I'm very lucky. I I think I'm the lucky one out of the pair of us that she showed up to watch a football game. Sorry, that she showed up because she has such a sports problem. Like she'll put on sports in the background and it doesn't matter what it is. She'll have sports on in the background, just as background noise. It doesn't matter if it's cricket, rugby, basketball, hockey. As long as teams are competing or two individuals are competing, she'll watch it. It's it's a little insane that she chose that day to come and cheer against England at this English supporters pub because she just likes to be the nail that sticks up and gets in everyone's craw. She loves it. Rude. Um, and, and, you know, we, it, it was the beginning of a very interesting journey that we've, we've been on. And I like the odds against it are insane, but it's, it's how it's all worked out. And he still puts up with me talking shit about his club. So you don't know if you can swear. I'm sorry if I can't swear. Oh, he still puts up with me talking smack oh, okay. about the club. <laughs> we usually try and behave. Like we're very sweary on our own podcast, but when we have a guest on or we're on someone else's podcast, we try and dial it back a little bit. Like I can keep it together. The, yeah. the, the interview with Timo Schultz, I somehow kept it together completely. And I don't know how I did. Because I swore swearer. more than we did. Right. Which is mind blasting. <laughs> is that where the, the name of the podcast comes from? It absolutely is. So, um, I'm I'm a huge consumer of podcasts. I I Samantha makes fun of me for always having like earbuds in um and and listening to a podcast and she says, "Well, what's what's on the soundtrack of your life today?" Yeah. Um because I always have something going and when I when I get into something, the first thing I do is go looking for the podcast. And there wasn't a podcast that came up uh when I went looking in English. Uh there's uh, a huge German podcast called the Melanton. Uh, but being a non-German speaker for the time being, I felt like there was that that hole that needed filling. And uh and so I decided, okay, we're we're gonna do a podcast. And I I think we watched a dodgy stream uh and got all of the viruses. And then when it was all done, I took my iPad and I started GarageBand huh. and threw it on the bed, like, welcome to and there was a pause and we had just watched this may get loud uh the night before which is the the documentary with uh bono yeah. and jimmy page jimmy page mm. yeah um and who else oh and and jack white mm. and one of my favorite white stripes songs is fell in love with a girl i was falling in love with samantha and this new football team and it just felt like Uh, there's also a beer called St. Pauli Girl. And for some reason, those three things just kind of coalesced out of nothing. 
when I threw the iPad down. Uh, fell in love with a girl in FC St. Pauli podcast, 7,000 kilometers removed. I'm Sean. Uh, probably not that smoothly delivered. Oh, hell no. No. <laughs> um, and we recorded a few episodes that will never, ever, ever see the light of day. Um, and I think got deleted somehow. Oh, I think good. when I got rid of GarageBand, it, it deleted the, the data. There was as well. no reason to keep those. No. They were that bad. But I'm uh, sure they weren't that bad. Oh, <laughs> Sean, you're very generous, but oh. no, they were, they were terrible. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's taken us till I would say season five uh. to get into a groove of the podcast. Season I five has, I think, been the best so far. Yeah. So there's four other really long, horrible years in there. Yeah. Plus the ones that got deleted. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I've I've completely veered off the question, haven't I? Well, that's I fine. Have... Yeah, he was asking where the name came from. Oh, okay. So Perfect. Answer. Perfect. Were you that interested in, in the podcast? What, what, was it something that you... Oh, yeah. He, when Sean says that he plopped the iPad down on the bed, absolutely. He put it right down between us and he started talking. I'm like, <laughs> I'm supposed to talk about it? Something? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. It was completely off the cuff. And that was, I mean, that's probably also why, because it was a little probably too off the cuff of trying to talk about a match that we had just watched. And when you're not in the frame of, like, when you're just watching something to have fun, yeah, it's different than you're trying to watch something critically and that you're actually, you know, trying to remember notes of, yeah, yeah. you know, when you go from a pure fan mindset, right? So... Yeah. I've been looking at the guests you have on and the kind of people who you interact with. There's so much about, you know, the history and, and the culture. And it comes across that you guys are so immersed into this. You know, you live and breathe this now. Well, we, we certainly try. I mean, it's as as trivial as it sounds, an eight-hour time difference is a strange spot to be in. And so when the morning news comes out, in Hamburg, we're we're fast asleep. It's uh. it's like two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, but it always kind of feels like we're playing from behind. So you have to be passionate, otherwise you you can't keep up. You won't keep up, and then you know that distance starts to build. Yeah, and and you have to do everything you can to mitigate it. And and really, when it's a labor of love like this, uh, it it gets very easy. If I wake up randomly in the middle of the night the first thing i do is is go looking for any sort of transfer news or any of the the stories coming out around the club that aren't necessarily football related if it's one of the social projects or um, a new initiative that the club is taking yeah there's there's always something to kind of be keeping track of a game that left you elated and a game that left you disappointed um the friend that I spoke about earlier, I've been with her to Turkey a couple of times. And the last time that I went with her, uh, we went to watch a Fenerbahce versus a team from the East. And I can't remember the name of the team. And it was like a know nothing game. Like it really shouldn't have been anything. Mm -hmm. um, but it was the second time I had been to a match outside of Canada. And really, like there wasn't really anything going off until Fenerbahce started to play poorly and we were in the Fenerbahce stadium and the fans started getting rowdy and we had bought tickets. I had version bought tickets really close to the benches. And that's where all of like 
like the very OG supporters. Cause like you are like in, in Turkey specifically, like you go to Fenerbahce school, you go to Galatasaray school, you are embedded in the sporting system there. So it was like those types of people that were sitting in those seats that we somehow managed to get tickets for. I'm not entirely sure, but Fenerbahce started playing like garbage and the fans turned on their own team. Wow. Um, which that speaks to me because if I'm going to complain about a team, it's usually my team that I'm complaining about. So, um, and the next thing, you know, there's chairs flying, the refs had to be escorted off. And of course I'm trying to instigate stuff and my friend is trying to get me to calm down. So from like an atmosphere perspective, I would say that was probably the best game I've ever been to and left me elated. Wow. Because I'm horrible. <laughs> I have a, I have a bastion, bit of an inner hooligan problem. Passionate. Passionate. We'll Let's leave it with passion. See, this is the good Sean. You're the bad Sean. That's <laughs> <laughs> so hurtful. <laughs> and the disappointing disappointment. Which was the one that. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm trying to think of disappointment. Oh, okay, maybe we'll get back to you. I can. Sean, you in the meantime. So we traveled to Hamburg two years ago now. Mm hmm which is crazy. Where has the last two years gone? Right. Uh, it feels like we're just there. Ah, stupid pandemic. Um, yeah. So we, we traveled, we made arrangements. We contacted the Fen Laden, which is kind of a club, the support structure. Um, so we've made arrangements for some tickets because we didn't want to go and not have a ticket after traveling 7,000 kilometers. And, uh, and we got it. The day before, we interviewed Dave Doman, who runs the um, the Levi's Music School, which is one of the social projects that the, the club runs. And he gave us a tour of the stadium, which was amazing. And our friend Nick Davidson, who wrote the book Pirates, Punks, and Politics mm-hmm. uh, about FC St. Pauli, and is really kind of a godfather spiritually speaking to a lot of the English language supporters mm. we're, we're friends. And he traveled from uh, just outside London to oh. go to the game with us uh, just to see our reactions wow. to everything. Wow. And, and yeah, so he took a couple of photos and and those are wonderful memories the next day. Oh, and our, our friend Zonka arranged, I think, through back channels to get us press passes for the match. Nice. So the next day we played Hanover 96, one of the bigger clubs, uh, I think, in terms of membership in our division, which is the Svita Bundesliga, the second division, uh, or second tier, I should say. And uh, so we went, and the first half of the match we watched from the Sudkurva, uh, where some would argue the ultras are, but the stadium is really three quarters ultras because you get the Sudkurva, you get all the fans along the Gegengarada, and then there's the Nordkurva, and they have their own supporter section there as well. So really on on three sides of the stadium, you're you have very vocal, very passionate supporters. Um so I don't want to make it sound like the Sudkurva is the only chunk of really, really vocal fans. It's it's insane how much support there is in that stadium. So we spent that first half of the game in the Sudkurva just to soak up the atmosphere. And then the second half, we went up to the press box and it was a different kind of magic. There were both incredible experiences, but two very disparate and separate types of, of magic. And we, we left one of the podcast stickers uh, stuck to a, oh. a, a section of the press box because 
you have to, right? Yeah. Sticker culture is a huge part of, of St. Pauli supporter culture. There are stickers everywhere, oh. absolutely everywhere. And I think that's that's largely true of, of Europe. But I, I think St. Pauli specifically, I mean, it gets it gets next level. I think there are sections of the Milan tour that were held together by stickers until they renovated the stadium <laughs> uh, before we started supporting them. Yeah, we lost badly. And it was that, to, like from from a pure fan watching a game that that game was was trash and you could argue that that would be a disappointment um and it's interesting because this would have been that was your first game abroad right yeah um so from like an atmosphere perspective like as canadians we thought the atmosphere was amazing because there were still loud there were still constant singing um but everybody kept saying like oh we are so sorry that this is your first game like the atmosphere was shit the game was shit um like what and you could like again if we had been watching this game at home yeah. I think I would have been really angry as a fan, um, you know, because we could see like there was one player, Dolly, who just he kept trying to rouse the troops and the, nobody was playing with their heart at mm. all uh, in that game. Um, so from like watching it, it could have been a disaster, but we were there and we thought it was, everything was great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was um, an amazing time that entire weekend. So when we met back up with them uh, at the press conference after the game, and Sven Brooks, the head of security and events for SC St. Pauli, who has been with the club since the old, old days when the the leftist and punk mm. and anarchist supporters got tired of, of getting into fights every weekend at our local rival, which I think we'll be talking about soon mm. enough. Um, like he's been there. He's, he's part of the stadium he's 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 a fixture he's he's a, a piece of furniture in the best possible way yeah. um yeah. he he said i can't remember the last time that the players played so badly or the atmosphere was so bad and there is a running joke with traveling supporters the first time you go to st Pauli, they'll lose like uh-huh. no matter who they're playing they'll, they'll lose um and they lost really badly and you know it's it's unfair to say that that was a really disappointing game because one of the wonderful things about the atmosphere at the Miller tour is even if you lose, hmm. you party afterwards, yeah. you can have like your five minutes to, to be a little cranky about the the players not giving a hundred percent effort, but then you go to any one of a number of bars or the wine bar that's actually under the terraces of the stadium and you listen to some great music, you meet up with your fellow supporters, you shake some hands, you swap some stickers, you drink a lot of beer or and wine, wine. And, and you have a fantastic party. Win, lose, or draw, you're going to be smiling at the end of that night. And, it's, and, and we did. It was an amazing experience. So even though it was a disappointing game, I mean, it still managed to be one of the best nights of my life. It was, right. it was magic. Absolutely. But I get that sense, especially reading about the club, that the football is just a small, very small part of it. Completely. Like we, as apparently a recovering silver rare polish addict, (laughs) as some might call me, um, I'm definitely would not say that I'm in it for the football at all. Because the football really isn't in the grand scheme of things. Is it that good? No. Like if you're going to look at other second tier leagues, like um championship in england i would say is still far ahead of of bundesliga 2 i would argue um but i still love watching it i love watching the boys go out 
and attempt to win every single week, but it's definitely like the friendships that you make. And we have so many friends because of, you know, Twitter um, and then being able to go to all these different meetups. And that's how we met Nick Davidson is because of Twitter. And then Sean got invited to go to Portland because Nick Davidson was doing a talk there. And it's just all of these connections have created such a great atmosphere for us, even though we're so far away from the club. But, and, and Samantha definitely talked about it. I mean, if you're used to watching nothing but Premier League or Champions League in super high res HD, St. Pauli might not be for you. Yeah. But if if a club has to mean more than just football, yeah. then FC St. Pauli is, is amazing because I already mentioned it. There's the Levi's Music School, um, which is one of my favorite parts of the club. So the VIP boxes in the Melon Tour, uh, the Separates, the major sponsors each have one. Yeah. And Levi's is is one of the major sponsors of the club and each each separate has a theme uh-huh. based around the sponsor so ostra beer for example I, I think it's you know very much a, a bar sort of setup um but uh the levi's one is set up like a studio there's guitars hanging on the wall there's the sound dampening foam there's a little riser there's a drum kit and and for these boxes, you know, it's it's decoration. But yeah. for this one, the separate is used one out of every two weeks, uh. and that's for game day, and that's when the sponsors have the run of the joint. And the rest of the time, it is a free music school for kids Brilliant. in the district who might not have an opportunity. So they get free lessons, they get free instruments, and they get to nourish this creative outlet. Um, and that's a story that I think you would be hard pressed to hear yeah. from another club. There's also Viva Canagua, which is a global clean water project uh, backed by the club. There are I, sorry, I, I'm under I, found, pressure. I found the kindergarten bit so amazing. Yeah, there's uh, a preschool program in the stadium, and on game days, all the little bodies come down the stairs and they go into their section and they get to absorb yeah. the uh, the atmosphere and be immersed in the club and be an important part of the club. There's also a youth uh, program called Rabaukin mm-hmm. and they, before the, the pandemic, would be the mascots who would come out with the, the players every week. Um, yeah, it, and it's it's that part of the club that that takes it to the next level. You know, it dials it up to 11. And uh, during G20, the the Millen Tour acted as a, an alternative media center and offered lodgings and, and hygiene facilities for folks who were there to cover um, the G20 summit in Hamburg from a non-mainstream media uh, source. So, And then the- our ex-head coach also walked in the... G20 protests. Yeah. Uh, he was still associated. That was Evald Lienen. He was still associated with the club at the time, or he yeah. still is to this day, still associated with the club. But um, I had been to Manchester and been to Old Trafford, and it was a night and day difference and yeah. experience. Yeah. And even like, yes, we like knew a bunch of people, but there was still, there's so much more atmosphere around the stadium and people just being welcoming and people hawking tickets to each other. Um, and everybody just kind of hanging out and chilling together. And it was, it's completely different than I think 
like any other club that I've been to. Um, so it's definitely something magical for sure. With each of them, you get a sense that each idea implemented comes from a very clear ethos and philosophy. Like you said, you'll find difficult to find in any club, let alone big or small. You know, clubs talk about community. They talk about fans standing up against bigotry and fascism. It's not just a stance. It's a very active involvement uh, in each and everything that they do, which is so hard to find. Because we're used to seeing these clubs as big uh, corporations and organizations that it's difficult to imagine a club doing this. But here they are as a living example. Yeah. And, and relatively successful. Yeah. There's getting to be more and more in England where you get these, you know, Clapton CFC, mm. Dulwich Hamlet, you know. Um, uh, White Hawks. Yeah, White Hawks, uh, to an extent, FC United of Manchester mm. that are, are trying to get out of this, this unbridled capitalistic fervor of just chasing the next big player, which is what all of the, you know, the United's mm. cities, Barcelona's that they do. And they're just, they're creating this unrealistic expectation for, for of a model for everybody to follow. And I think Zeng Pauli being, and even though it's in some ways just the second tier, they're still at a, like they're at a higher professional level, but they're still able to balance with their ethos. Like mm. absolutely capitalism is involved because it has to be, they're still at the end of the day, they still have to earn money to play players mm. and just remain in existence. Um, but it's nice to see a club that can stand up and, and be a voice at, you know, at the Bundesliga table of saying what, what is right and what's not right. And, and really punching above its weight as well. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a huge kerfuffle in the, the German system because of the 50 plus one rule, which people are much more familiar with in the last um, couple of months, ever since the announcement of the European Super League. So one of our executives went to this league meeting and was a very outspoken and very passionate defender of 50 plus one. And I, I think it was Karl-Heinz Rummenigge from Bayern Munich said, you're turning this into a populist sideshow. This is, uh. this cannot stand 50 plus one is holding us back, et cetera, et cetera. Bayern Munich, poor little Bayern Munich have barely two pennies to rub together. Um, but I mean, in terms of being able to, to, champion causes um, and use their full-throated voice to defend the things that are important to them. I mean, it's something that I, I cherish, not just respect, but cherish about FC St. Pauli. I I realized after the fact that Nick, our friend Nick would probably kill me for having not mentioned FC Lampedusa, which Mm. is the refugee football club, which is a a separate and independent football club that is, is supported by FC St. Pauli. When the Milan tour was renovated, um, the club basically said, have at it, decorate it the way you feel mm. is best. Here are a couple of guidelines, but otherwise have at it. And um, there is a huge mural on one side of the stadium, Kein Fußball den Faschisten. Uh, so no football for fascists. Mm. You put that right out there. You paint it on the stadium. You put it in a place that's undeniable to anyone. Um, and, and you, if you take the cues from the supporters, Mm. those roots and that love just grows deeper and deeper. And at some point you won't be able to remove the two. And I think 50 plus one is, is a huge part of that. If the supporters have an equal and, and even to a degree surpassing say 
in the direction of the club that they support and they love and they buy the merchandise of and go and stand on the terraces drinking the club's beer mm. and enjoying a cigarette if if you're so inclined uh because germany i mean especially in hamburg you smoke everywhere uh indoor outdoor yeah us canadians almost died we're not used to <laughs> not, not all used to but um you know one of one of the experiences that i will never forget is we were walking through the district and we rounded a corner and there was the miller tour mm. it is the heart of the community yeah. it is the loud brash yeah. pulsing heart of the community now from a north american context where you go in most cities and you go to a stadium and it's surrounded by acres and acres of parking lot and it's kind of this this thing that's just kind of jammed in the middle of some cheap land somewhere um thrown out by by developers uh. um it's it's a different experience to walk around a corner and there it is the the Millentor stadion compared to you can see it from kilometers away in any direction if you're going to a, a stadium in most cities in North America because they're so removed from a community that they're supposed to be part of uh, i mean look at teams in MLS where i mean uh, i think it's uh red bulls yeah <laughs> um you know they play in new jersey i mean they finally incorporated new jersey into the name but they're the new york red bulls playing in new jersey it's when you allow that that separation of club and community and supporters and club if you can't get all of that working together then it's a really dissonant sort of experience but well and it goes like so the piece of that 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 you're almost alluding to is the, the accountability. So the club will hold their sponsors accountable if they're doing something untoward or, or they make a shitty statement. Um, the club will hold the, the sponsors accountable and we as fans can hold the club accountable. And we actually have a voice of saying when something is done, that's not right. Um, or something that we disagree with, even though, you know, there's a huge chunk of us that are in the Americas but we still have that conduit to the club. And when I was a fan of Manchester United, like we had a fan club in Calgary and, and there was a broad-based one in Canada. We never had a voice with them. Like mm. we were able to go over and get tickets, no problem. But there was, there was never that like two-way like communication and, and relationship that I think we have as FC and Pauli supporters that I, to me, I also cherish because I want to have a voice. I'm not just like this mass you know, foreign fan yeah. um, that shouldn't have an opinion because I happen to be foreign. Um, You're so, a member, not a customer. Yeah, 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 and it's and it's very much like a, it, you know, very to me, it's still kind of like very family based, right? Like mm. we can go complain to them if they do something. For example, um, they were doing a friendly. And they played that um, Tom Jones song, Delilah, which in English is not a good, like it's, yeah. there's problem, it's a problematic song, but of course, like in Germany, they don't, like, it's not the same for them, right? Like they context. don't understand the, yeah. the, the context and the, and the nuances of it, right? But, you know, we are still have that capability of saying like, you shouldn't have played that song. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. no, we shouldn't have, right? Yeah. So, and here's a statement and here's an apology yeah. and here's the action that we'll be taking moving forward. And I mean, to your point about accountability with sponsors, what, our sleeve sponsor yeah. uh, is a, a beer company called Astra and they're based in Hamburg and they're, they have a very rich 
history as a sponsor of FC St. Pauli. Um, but they have, they use some edgy humor in some of their ads. And a couple of years ago, there was an ad that they put out and the club just said, no, no, you can't. We're distancing ourselves from this because this is a portrayal of an immigrant to our country that we, that, that do not align with our values. And basically here's your warning mm. don't don't do it again and St. Pauli fans buy a lot of Astra a lot <laughs> yeah um and and considering kind of the the roots of that company with St. Pauli I mean there was once upon a time where St. Pauli had no money in the bank yeah. and was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy and completely disappearing and I can't imagine that alternate timeline but um, Astra stepped up and basically said, the more you drink, the more we'll donate. And folks from Hamburg, especially in the district of St. Pauli and the surrounding neighborhoods that, that support St. Pauli, you know, stepped up mm-hmm. and they, they drank a lot of Astra and they raised a lot of money for the club. And also had bake sales, which I think is the cutest thing ever. Is amazing. And sold t-shirts <laughs> that, that said Retter or Hero or Savior, I, I should say. So like you could buy that the money gets donated you could buy a bond for i think 1910 euros that would mature actually matured just a couple of years ago so that the club would have operating capital for the near future they played a as much as we have issues with Bayern Munich and how they run their business um and their club you know they came and played a friendly against us so i mean just if you think about like just the revenue that comes in from one match of football where you're not worried about uh, paying anything other than just money into the bank account. It's a huge sum of cash. And, and to a very, to a degree, we, we owe our existence to Bayern Munich and their largesse. But I mean, that doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that they, they do. And when they say black, we don't say white, or if they say white, we say brown because I guess brown vice. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so steeped in so many different aspects. It's a club. And I've said this before on our podcast, it's and other people's podcasts. Um, It is a club that exists in constant tension with itself. Mm. It's always trying to find the balancing point. And if something gets slightly out of whack, scrambling to make sure that that maintains that balance. Otherwise the, the soul of the club wouldn't, wouldn't be the same. So that was a really long answer to yeah. what was our favorite moment. So do you have a, what was your most disappointing game? That was my most disappointing game. The one against Bayern Munich? No, no. The Which Hanover one? one. But I thought it was your best one. What was your best no, one? No, that was, that was the match that I was disappointed with. Mm. Mm. We're making a, a, an editing nightmare for, for Sean. Yeah, we are. Yeah. This wouldn't be the first time I've made an editing nightmare for anybody. <laughs> this is what he has to put up with all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Club legends. Talk to me about club legends. Jan Philip Kella, for sure. Uh, one of the very few stayed with the club throughout his entire career as a player, which does not happen in the modern era yeah. at all. But I think the last one would be 
Carragher. Um, <laughs> and maybe Ryan Giggs, who's also very problematic in his retirement. Um, but uh, Kala has is very much, he's a legend because he like lives and breathes the club and the values in particular, uh, very involved in the, um, in all of like the Viva Con Agua and a lot of the, um, Oh, very, yeah, very involved with the Rebokan as well. So he's just from that perspective, like he's, he's a legend because he gets, he gets it and he believes in the values, which is super important. And again, you don't see that often in a footballer uh, talking about his political ideals. Mm. Cause again, it just doesn't happen. People come, they play, they leave, right. They just, they collect their paycheck. So yeah, definitely club legend. I would have to say uh, Fabian Boll for, for my club legend. He's not someone that I got to see play, mm-hmm. but one of the cool things about FC Sigpoli's uh, streaming service is you can go back five years. So we've, we've watched his testimonial match um, uh, or, or sorry. I don't think it was a testimonial. I, it was his last league match at the Millen tour uh, before his retirement. And I mean, FC Sigpoli has, um, a turbulent history, uh, both as a, a club and its supporters with the Hamburg police. Huh. And uh, especially when you take it back to the roots of the modern era of St. Pauli, when it was punks and anarchists and squatters looking for a football club where they could just bring a case of beer and hang out with their friends and have a laugh and watch some football without having to get into a fight with neo-Nazi skinheads or something. Um, the Hamburg police um, have caused a lot of problems for uh, those communities in, in the club's history and, um, you know, roasting squatters and anarchists uh, from uh, one particular building in, in Hamburg. So there is no love lost between FC St. Pauli supporters and um, and, and the Hamburg police. Fabian Boll was a part-time footballer and part-time police officer. So if you think about those two yeah. sides kind of in, in conflict and tension, um, he, he was an incredible leader, a crunching tackler, not someone who would shy away from getting in someone's face if they uh, did a St. Pauli player wrong and loved and respected by the supporters. And I, I wish I had started watching a few years earlier so I could have seen him play, but he's, he's, um, he's definitely a club legend for FC St. Pauli. There is a common thread between those two players though. They are both uh, working on their uh, management licenses. Mm. So bowl is an assistant with, our rivals Holstein Kiel and uh, Kala, I think, is uh, going to balance uh, developing as a manager. And he's retired from the football branch of the club, but he will be playing handball for the club nice. this coming season, which is which is crazy. He, he, it kind of blows my mind that he's he's that entrenched in the club that, oh, yeah, OK, my football days are over. But yeah, I'll, I'll throw a ball into the back of the net. That's cool. <laughs> Players, you think, deserve a bit more praise for their time at the club? Uh, I think over the last season in particular, Marvin Knoll was underutilized. We had a couple of players come in 
so he he technically should be like I would say like a defending midfielder or an attacking defense kind of position. Um, we had two players come in and take his spot, I would say a little bit, one of which I kind of agree with. Uh, the other one, not so much. I don't, I, he hasn't quite cemented in my brain why he should be playing, but I think Marvin Cano over the past or since he's come, uh, I think has been underutilized the first, I would say like year uh, he was really involved. Definitely our set piece person uh for sure but he just doesn't seem to fit in in timo schultz's tactics in the past year and i think that's i think that's a bit of a shame um for me i would say it's been a few of our younger players who have either not cracked the first team or have uh have moved on very recently so uh we have a costa rican international called luis cordes who is named to the first team this year, but hasn't really broken through yet. Uh, we had a young man named Leon Flach, uh, who was born in Texas, but very much raised in Germany, uh, of German parents uh, who were in the States for work. He, I think he has ambitions for the U.S. men's national team. So he, he requested a transfer to... Uh, the MLS, so he plays for the Philadelphia Union. He he did not get nearly enough playing time when he was with us. Yeah, and and scored a goal in a derby game. So I mean, he he you could see that potential, and especially on a big occasion like that. Yeah, uh, it was a shame to let him go. Erson Zahir, which uh, uh, one of the the big three from the Super League, uh, huh. the Turkish Super League, I should say. Uh, we're we're looking at him, and he's gone to a smaller club. But I think, kind of like Samantha was saying, I, I don't think he necessarily falls into the philosophical context of the of of our current manager's vision. So uh, he's he's left the club. So there's there's some youngsters there that I wish we had spent a little more time with, but we we also have a, a crop of youngsters that are yeah. that are coming up and uh, they're looking promising as well. Young players, you're looking to see more of. Uh, I really want to see Vikov, who's been named to the senior squad again this year. He was very much used as a bit of a super sub in the last season. Um, I would like to see him start, though. I think he can create a little bit of magic for sure. Um, Christian Feet, who has made a couple of appearances in the first team last year, I, I think has something special in his boots and and hopefully he'll get a chance to show that in the coming season. Um, Igor Matanovic is another young player who's had a little more opportunity in the first team, um, but he's, he's also had a chance to score on a big occasion. And I, I, I really want to see him develop and hopefully he doesn't get sold on or loaned out uh, as is our clubs have it in the last uh, couple of years went to the wine bar after the Hanover 96 game that we went to um, and you put like a deposit on your wine glass. And then if you bring back the token in your wine glass, you get your money back for it. Uh, but so I just, I kept the wine glass. And so that's one of my favorites. And the other one is funnily enough, technically not a football, anything related, but it's a little hat uh, like a toque that has devil's horns on it. 
and I wore it to the Manchester United Liverpool game that I went to at Old Trafford. So, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I'll have to send a picture of it too. Oh, stop. <laughs> I love how Sean. It's the most ridiculous. My Sean is I love it, and it's very toasty. It's good in our Canadian winters. Um, I'm going to cheat as well. I have a couple of cherished objects. Uh, one is the press pass that we got when we went to the Miller and Tour. Um, it was an unparalleled experience and part of uh, one of the most wonderful days. The other is uh, a pair of goalkeeper's gloves that were signed by our backup keeper, Philip Hirvagen, who is very, very active with Viva Canagua. And uh, as, as with many things, uh, it, it has a bit of a story behind it. It's the memento of an insane day. We went to New York to watch the last match of the season with the East River Pirates, who are the New York Supporters Club. Okay. Uh, and they meet at the East River Bar in Brooklyn, uh, just underneath the, the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, they have a very famous mural on their patio of the Statue of Liberty, but the face is replaced with a skull. And it's such a, a wonderful place. It's um, it's also a bike courier bar. So there's always like, it has an energy. It has it has its own vibe. And it's it's really cool. The first time we went there, we spent a couple of days in New York and on, I'm going to tell the story. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> so we, we wake up, we do a little sightseeing. We take a walk along the Hudson river in the opposite direction. And then at the last moment, we're like, okay, we'll grab a cab to the East river bar. It's only a few blocks, but you know, let's, let's save our energy for the party. And, um, and Samantha, and I got out of the cab and she suddenly realized that she didn't have her phone on her. Oh. She had left her phone in the back of the cab. So we stopped in at the bar and said, Hey, we were coming early to help set up and give any support that we could. Here's the thing though. <laughs> Samantha's lost her phone in the back of a yellow cab in New York city. We don't know the driver's name or his, um, his number so we need to fix this because it had like a ton of of photos on it from our trip like everything 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 was on there there. so the story has a happy ending we the the next person in the cab saw it picked it up we rang the phone a few times eventually they picked up we arranged to meet we ran all over town to get the the phone could not get a taxi when i actually wanted one <laughs> no no because we somehow ended up in the uh this would have been in the middle of um sabbath okay in the very in the very um traditional jewish part of williamsburg okay okay and i didn't realize it until after the fact that i was like oh that's why we didn't get a cab because why would there be cabs in this area on Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we get the phone. Uh, we, we thought we were going to an address and it was a hotel. Okay. And it was it was a whole big thing. It, it was total chaos and pandemonium. Flagging down a cab, um, you know, racing back to the East River Bar. They waited for us to arrive to start the match. We watched the match and drank to catch up. So we became very intoxicated very quickly. And this last match, the, the club had sent a ton of stuff to them because they were doing a, a fundraiser for Viva Canagua. 
and uh, they had a raffle and my boy, Philip, uh, I love the guy. So um, I went to the ATM. I pulled out like $200 US. Like the raffle, like you buy uh-huh. little tickets and you're supposed to put the tickets in the bag of the stuff that yeah. you want. And you, yeah. So like, you and know, I you're just, supposed to spread out your tickets. <laughs> I took $200 worth of tickets and put it in the pot for the gloves. Uh, so I was like, what are you going to do? You just put $200 worth of tickets in the thing. What if just the fates are against you and they pull out somebody's ticket and, and they just said, you're a ridiculous human being. (laughs) Take the gloves. (laughs) Get out of our face. I don't think they could have bared with Sean breaking down into tears. (laughs) If he didn't get those gloves. Uh, Yeah. I'm wrong. I'm not going to say you're wrong. Um, and, and for the record, there were two pairs of gloves available. So it's not like I was just throwing money at a problem. But you kind of were. I kind of was. But it's not like there wasn't another set available for someone else to win. So my, I'm a banker. I work for a bank. My banker, when I found out that he went to some dodgy ATM on the street, I flipped. So I'm like, great. So now at the, at the other end, you just bought these gloves and our identity is going to be stolen. Thank you. And nothing ever came of it. But... Like I, I've joked so many times that all of our stories are disasters. They're always tiny tragedies, tiny disasters. Usually caused by me. That that root. That, <laughs> it's true. That uh, that all with the distance of time becomes a really funny story mm-hmm. and and uh, a crazy memory and and it really kind of embodies you know to a degree a player that I admire. Yeah. But also like this incredible trip, my first trip to New York City, this network of friends that we've now met uh, because of our shared love of FC St. Pauli, ah, the crazy story about the cell phone. Just... And then when we finally met Philip Hirvagen in Detroit, uh, I used that as a gateway of him throwing the money at the gloves <laughs> to introduce Philip Hirvagen to Sean so that they could talk because Sean was being a chicken and didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> Okay, I deserve that. Okay, did, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, in in this very dense yeah. amount of space, you have a lot of memories yeah. packed into yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, and having played goalkeeper uh, when I was still playing football, you know, just having a a goalkeeper that you admire and yeah. you can kind of chop it up with um, is is one thing, but. It's it's really all the ancillary stuff. It's not necessarily the gloves or the player. It's it's the whole package. Mm. So that's that's my very long winded answer about <laughs> what my object is. We had a very poor run of form, and Joss Luhuke, for whatever reason, I had decided to watch the press conference that year that for that game. And I don't know why I did, but I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to check in on the press conference. Like there's no subtitles. I can only get up bits and pieces, but I'm going to watch this anyways. And Joss Luhuke went on the biggest tangent that I had seen in a really long time. And I thoroughly enjoyed it because I was watching it. I'm like, you're either going to be fired or you're going to quit one of the two. Either way, it's a good thing. <laughs> He's not my favorite. FC St. Pauli manager, that's for sure. No, most definitely not. Yeah. It, it was that, a great That match. was a spectacular meltdown. Yeah, he had a meltdown. It was yeah. great. It was good. Um, I think an incredible football memory for me, even though we weren't there uh, last year, and we've danced around rivals uh. a couple of times now, uh, 
but we played the Nord Derby uh, against Hasfau, the the city rivals, the club that spent the longest amount of time in the top flight of the Bundesliga and have been languishing in the second division for a few years now. But last year, I mean, everyone was locked down or on stay-at-home orders or, you know, just the the pandemic stuff that has kind of become part of our day-to-day routine now, um, watching football in an empty stadium. But before the match, the supporters lined up along the bus route of, uh, of the team bus arriving and there were flares and there were pyro, there was pyro and, um, and just kind of this outpouring of love for the team as they went to go and and battle our, our city rivals and the players took the pitch and I don't think anyone saw it coming, but there was this huge fireworks display put on by the supporters. USP specifically. Yeah. So all all the the ultras just went to all this time and and expense to create an atmosphere for this derby game that uh, otherwise wouldn't have had much because of an empty stadium, but the supporters were able to make themselves felt in the stadium, even though they couldn't be there. Uh, and we went on to win one nil against um, a big, relatively rich club, which Who I th- always think kind of like Liverpool always think that this year oh, is their year. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And and the manager of Hasfau at the time, when he went to our manager to you know shake hands and say hello, uh, the fireworks were going off, and I have this memory of him just like looking up in disbelief at what was going on in front of him, and it was uh, that's that's the power of the supporters right there, even if they're not there. Yeah. Um, they can still have such an impact and, and they did, and it was a great game and it was the right result mm-hmm. and they missed the playoff spot by the four points that we took off of them this past season. So that's, that's a good feeling. What I love about Bundesliga two is the insane amount of movement on the table. Like one minute we can be 15th. The next thing you know, we're third. Then we're back down to 17th. Then maybe we'll hit fifth. And it's like this yo-yo all season long. And I love it. Like, I love the anxiety of potentially being relegated. I love it. It's And Sean hates it. It's pure chaos. I I love it and I hate it. I mean. But I thrive on it. It gives him anxiety and me. I just like, yeah. I think at the ninth week of being in 17th place on the table this year, I don't think I loved it so much. But... um, yeah, it's such a roller coaster because the stakes are so high. You think in in the top flights, there's there's championships to be played for. There's um, tournament berths at, at stake. Lots of of television money, yeah. and in 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 the second flight, I mean, you're you're talking about such a, an economic disparity that if you're if you're relegated, that could be an existential threat. Can you make payments on your stadium? Can you afford to have a good crop of players on the pitch next year? I mean, it's, it's, it's the stakes. Yeah. I mean, you should have your cardiologist on, <laughs> on speed dial some weeks because it's, it's, 
insane how much movement there is. Yeah. I mean, Haas Val, I, I hate to, to use their names because they're the worst, mm-hmm. but um, you know, they have worked so hard to try and get out of the second division and they just keep falling short and, and they can lead the league for, for almost the entire season 90 percent of the season and then at the end they'll find a way and 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 that's that's a huge amount of money that they're they're leaving on the table uh, and they're a big club with a big stadium and a big and a big payroll. clock that they had so they they had a clock in their stadium that said how many years they had been in bundesliga and it was like a continual counting clock uh, so of course when they came to join us in bundesliga two there were many jokes <laughs> there were many stickers uh used to memorialize that poor clock yeah yeah um yeah it's 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 insane it's such a roller coaster it's definitely a fun league to watch yeah from that perspective and there is good quality football i mean i i feel like i i need to leap to the defense of not only our team but our our league in general i mean there isn't a single fixture on the schedule that you can take for granted you you have to play every match there's there's no there's there's no minnows and and giants it's it's just you have to go out and try and win every single match because you know you um, might get an island in the middle of the table where there's like three teams that are super stable but i mean the jockeying that happens um there's so much mobility on the table you're not going to get like the long-standing real madrid and barcelona running away with it or the or Bayern Munich running away from it. Yeah. Or the old firm just always being the top two. Um, so it always has a little bit of, a little bit of interest into it. Plus the dynamic of, of people coming down from um, yeah. the top flight and coming up from the, the third division. I mean, there's always this mix and some, some teams come up from the third and they thrive like, um Holstein Kiel have been really really competitive and you can see that their eyes are on the prize they want to get up into the top flight and then there are huge clubs like Erste FC Nuremberg who really are or, or Hanover 96 really are too big in theory in Haasfell uh, to be in the second division because of the number of members that they have and the amount of of money that that generates but they just, it has to exist on the football pitch. It doesn't matter how many uh, members you have or how many dollars you have in the bank account. You have to build a super competitive team that has to be able to adjust week to week and, or have such a strong identity that it's undeniable. And, and like Schalke. Schalke. Yeah. Schalke is a perfect example. Yeah. Um, That's, they're going to be fun to watch next season yeah. for sure. You know, and, and Werder Bremen is not a huge club, but they've been in the Bundesliga for a really long time, and they'll be bringing some quality down with them as well. We have two rivals in Hansa Rostock and Dynamo Dresden. Um, from an ideological point of view, that there's there's that political rivalry uh, because our our uh, outlook on the world does not align. Mm. So, I mean, there's, there's the, the football derbies, there's the ideological derbies. Um, and, and it's, it's, you, you never know what's going to happen. It's such a wild ride year after year. Yeah. What has it meant to you? What has it brought to your lives? 
I just took a picture of a lot of football shirts yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) They're all named and numbered. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of skull and crossbones around the house. Um, I'm, I might be guilty of the capitalistic trappings of football, but again, like those are those little objects that mean so much to you, but really when it, comes down to it it's for me it's it's community and um being a very small part and contributing in our own little way to the the culture and the accessibility of fc st Pauli. um and even that feels kind of like an overstatement but the people that we've met and the experiences that we've had we've said it many times but if you meet someone wearing a Tottenkopf hoodie or t-shirt um, and and you say, oh, you're a St. Pauli supporter. Um, you might not be best friends, uh. but you know automatically when you look at that person that you share a core of, of values that you share. And, and, and it, you know, especially when you compare Premier League clubs, you know, you, you can have someone as a random example in India with an Arsenal shirt and someone in Canada with an Arsenal shirt, you could meet up and you can, you can chop it up about football, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to click and connect or have necessarily compatible political or ideological views. But, um, but with St. Pauli, I think there's something different there. Um, When, when you support FC St. Pauli, you're in for the whole package. You you aren't just there to watch the football on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. You, you're there for what the club gives back to the community, what the community puts into the club. It's it's a holistic thing, but I, I think community is is probably the best way of of summing it up. Definitely. Like we wouldn't have the relationships that we have, the friends that we have, if it wasn't for the club and then the podcast. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, like that, like this club is integral to our relationship as well. Cause like, this is the one thing that we support together and we do together and we talk to each other every week about football. Um, I mean, whether or not we had the podcast, like, it's just something that we really like to do together. Um, and I think for us, it's really good instead of being on the opposite sides of, of an Eng- of English teams, because he doesn't like it when I, when I make fun of Liverpool. So, but I mean, it brings us to, I don't care. it's the eye rolling, but like, but it's something again, like we, it's, for it, very for me it's everything about relationships my relationship with Sean and my relationship with the, like with kind of like the global St. Pauli community yeah. um and again like and it's a safe space mm. it's the one place in the world where you know that doesn't matter who you are you're going to be accepted and I think you know if we do ever get to the first tier of Bundesliga you know kind of going back to my like my just previous comment of of setting the example of everyone should feel safe no matter where they are. Like they need, everybody needs to be feel welcome. Like, of course you can have different, different opinions and we don't always get along with everything that everybody else says, but if you've got the basic core tenants, correct. And, and aligned with the club and your personal beliefs 
and everybody is welcome because I like everybody should feel welcome and everybody is welcome. Um, and that's not something that I think all clubs are really good at doing yeah. unless, unless you want, unless you want to contribute a whole lot of money. Yeah. Or unless you're Nazis. Okay. Yeah. But you know, so it's, um, in that respect, it would be nice to get up to Bundesliga so you know we could share that message more broadly, for sure. But of course, being in first Bundesliga has other has other problems. Yeah. But 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 on the other side of that same coin, I mean, I I think to have people come to the club organically and 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 I don't mean this to sound like um like a gatekeeper because I want everyone to support St. Pauli. I want I want people to understand and internalize the values that go along with being a, a St. Pauli supporter. But I, I think there has to be a bit of a journey. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't I don't want to see you know, I, I don't want to walk into a bar and see a whole bunch of people wearing Totten Cuff t-shirts. And then I rock up and be like, hey, man, you're a St. Pauli supporter? Cool. Like, what do you think of the, the new jersey with the rainbow detail on it? Oh, I don't I don't like that. Keep politics out of, out of football. Politics is football. Football is politics. These are intertwined. And people who who argue that politics has no place in football are probably believe some some things that I'm I'm not terribly cool with because if you can't stand up and say you know um, this is not a place for homophobia this is not a place for racism this is not a place for fascism or transphobia if if you can't stand up on a chair and shout that into that big room um, and have everyone else look back and say yeah no that's totally cool mm. um, then then. At what point are you just, you know, the fashionable supporter who's there to just, oh, it's a cool looking t-shirt. I'll throw that on. And, and uh, you know, with the Premier League the or or a lot of leagues for that matter, you know, rainbow laces, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll have some ad hoardings for, for a week and rainbow laces in the players' boots for a week. But anti-homophobia is a 365 day a year activity. It is not, it is not just a weak it's not just a pr thing it's not you know an element of corporate responsibility it is it it has to be deeply ingrained in the values and the culture of the supporters of the club and and in the front office of the club as well from from the ceo down to you know the the person who's um you know pushing around a broom after match day and and collecting confetti and stuff like it 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 has to be organic and and i worry i I think every sports organization in the world has, and in its DNA, the responsibility to go out and compete as hard as they can to be as successful as they can. If you're going out and playing a half-hearted game, you're not being true to yourself. You're not being true to your supporters. You're not being true to the spirit of the competition. And so I think there is a responsibility to go out and play as hard as we can. And if we get promoted, that's great. But promotion for the sake of promotion can't be the primary driver it has to exist in kind of a homeostasis is that the right word of like a a holistic uh enterprise it has to be all bodies pulling in the same direction for the same reason so you know that's that's one of the concerns of of promotion uh you don't you don't want to be fashionable you don't want to have you know someone who who says they're a St. Pauli supporter, but puts out, you know, um, architectural details that, you know, 
keep homeless folks from finding shelter for an evening. You can't, those two things don't go together. And if you're wearing a St. Pauli t-shirt while doing it, then you, you need to, you need to chuck that in the bin or give it to someone who, who that belongs with. So sorry, I went long-winded again. <laughs> I talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> with St. Pauli, the district of St. Pauli uh, has, and I, I hate even bringing it up because it's such a stereotype about the club, but the, the district of St. Pauli um, is, is uh, encompasses the, the red light district yeah. of the city. Yeah. So, I mean, it's notorious for, you know, a group of tourists to come party on the Reaper bond, go get some, some tickets mm-hmm. because the tickets are very cheap and very accessible and go to a St. Pauli game because they're that, that fashionable mm-hmm. club, right. With the, the quirky history yeah, yeah. and the cool skull and crossbones and, well, and it's uh, accessible to get into. You don't have to go for it. Like it's in the community. It's, it's right there. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when you rock up, there's kind of like a, mm. no, but really, are you, are you a St. Pauli supporter or are you a tourist and not, not in a gatekeeping you know, oh, if you're not from this postal code, then you're you can't you can't support this club. I've never felt at any stage of our support of St. Pauli like we didn't belong and weren't accepted. Um, but I think because of its proximity and because of its, you, you can get like a, a, I think a flight from London to Hamburg for like a hundred pounds, probably less than a hundred pounds on one of the discount airlines so it's like a cheap and easy trip you can drink while you're watching football which you can't do in england you can smoke on the terraces um and i think a lot of of guys especially get together for like a stag party fly to hamburg get blitzed out of their mind on very cheap beer act like idiots and and kind of make it an unpleasant experience for everyone else. Now, that being said, if you rock up and, and you, you say the right things, you, you have a conversation with the people around you and really connect, then I, I've never felt as though we haven't belonged. No, I was asked just once when we had gone, like, oh, how did you get a, your, because I was wearing the, the skull and crossbone sweatshirt. And they're like, oh, how did you get that so quickly? I'm like, oh, I would, well, I've had this for years. Oh, like, so you're a fan. And, you know, we could have a better and deeper conversation, but there definitely was just like that because they're very, and I get it, like very used to the tours coming in, being able to buy merch easily, wear it because they think it looks cool Mm. and there's nothing behind it, right? It's right there at the airport. It's right (laughs) at the airport. There's a fan uh, or like a club shop in, in the red light district as well. So like as in addition to the, the stadium, so like merch is easy to come by when you're there. And and one thing, and, and maybe it's not my place to bring it up, but have you ever had an experience, and I know you've had it in in our, our previous life of, you know, oh, you're a girl yeah. and you're here. Are you are you here with your boyfriend? Oh, your your boyfriend's a Manchester United supporter. And I don't think you've ever had that experience no. with St. Pauli. No, like as a as an EPL supporter, when I was as a woman, I'm not. I wasn't allowed to have an opinion because I'm a girl. I can't possibly know anything about football. Like that's out of my purview. But with with St. Pauli, I've never felt like that ever. Nobody has ever made me feel like that. And she is a woman of many opinions. Whether yeah, you it's a little known fact, like you got to dig super deep to find that, that I have opinions. 
<laughs> I I find it difficult to find guests online women supporters I think that they are very guarded with their comments online because of that because of the reason that that you you just explained I can understand the difference but from league to league it's different like somehow I feel when it comes to Spanish football it's a little different I I, I don't know if you guys have felt that I, well, yeah, I, I think you bring up a great point about it being different from league to league, because even if I think about um, when I'm in Turkey and, and there happens to be a game on, you know, there is like it's always it has been, you know, male dominated, but there's still acceptance of women, I think, and women are are allowed to have their opinions. And again, it's it's very much ingrained of like, um, you know, it's your you know, it's a we as a family support this club. So therefore everybody, man, woman, child right. is going to support that, that club. So I think it's a little bit different. Whereas like England, I think it's um, because of like having that hooligan past, I think, and the violence problems that they had in the seventies and eighties. And it wasn't a friendly, a family friendly atmosphere, which is why they're turn, trying to turn it towards that way, which in some ways takes away, I think a little bit of the atmosphere. Um, but it's just like, I think the kind of intergenerational habit of it just being more male dominated in, in England specifically, because mm-hmm. even when, like we had happened when we were on our trip to go to Hamburg, we did make a pit stop in London, went to a Fulham game. And I don't remember seeing very many women at all in that stadium. Like I was like probably one of a handful, mm-hmm. I would say like, there were some of like the old, old biddies that were there with their husbands that kind of hang out in the traditional seats, but they, they were very few and far between. Um, and you're right, just from general postings, like there does seem to be like in, in Spanish leagues, Mexican leagues, a lot more female fans um, that show up to games. So but it, it makes me wonder about the battles that those women have to fight. Mm. Right. If, if they happen to have, you know, a differing opinion, how, how much gatekeeping there is, in terms of having to prove that you know a thing or two about uh, football and that club, like oh, and God yeah. forbid if we think something's pretty, like oh. if we like a kit, it's like oh, you like it because it's pretty, and you don't actually like the football, like that kind of shit just makes my blood boil. Yeah, like oh. because like Sean is a kit nerd yeah. and can deep dive on kits. But if I was to do that, it would be because I think things are pretty and not because I have a technical knowledge or an interest in actual kits. Like, and that's that kind of thing really frustrates me. But again, I've never felt that with, with Sam Poli. We were lucky enough to interview Marion Reimers mm-hmm. from uh, Fox Sports uh, in Mexico. And, and we talked about kits and we talked about football and she is super outgoing and lovely and down to earth. And um, I mean, just going on to social media, you see some of the vitriol that is, is sent her way. And it's like, how, how can you just write someone off because of, as she put it, what's between her legs. It's, it's, it's crazy that, that people look at the world that way. And, it, and I think when we, when we chatted with her, something that really resonated with me or it kind of stuck with me because we were talking about women getting into broadcasting and color commentary because it hasn't been easy for her, of course. Um, but now like, because in the name of, of equality, um, broadcasters are now then like rushing to get women in, in the chair 
which is fantastic, but then they're not giving them the training and the support and the experience that they need to build up to doing some of these big games. So then when a woman does make a misstep because she hasn't had the same opportunity of training and support, that I think everybody will jump on and pick up on it even more. But if a man was to say something stupid, it's everybody just lets it go. Which we do all the time. I mean, men say stupid things <laughs> a lot. <laughs> But it's just that like that microscope, because again, like you get the people out there that don't think that woman should be commentating and you're like, oh, you're just put there because she's a woman. Well, no, she actually probably is qualified, but she hasn't been able to give given the support. So, of course, she's going to make a misstep. I, I used to think, you know, when when guys would walk out of the pub on a, on a Saturday morning into the cold, hard light of day after watching their team get wrecked you know about kind of moping out and oh my team lost i never really got that um i almost thought it was like some sort of performative thing like when gaza cried it was okay for everyone to cry afterwards um i i never understood that and now that i've found my club that's like i live and die by the results if if saint Pauli take to the pitch and they play like garbage you know, it ruins my weekend. It, I, I, and I never thought I would be that guy. But yeah, when when we win, it's elation, and when we lose, it's awful. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I don't think that people get enough credit for being a faraway fan. It's, it, you know, it, it, it's tough, and it's a journey. And and I, I think back to like what it must have been like to be an English language St. Pauli supporter in like even, you know, the turn of the century. I mean, you didn't have Google translate. You, you didn't even have Twitter. Like it. Uh, you didn't have TAFE out. Like there's so many things you, you that make it accessible for us that yeah. it wouldn't have been accessible in the late nineties yeah. for sure. Globalization has, has an ugly face in, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I mean, you have the sum of all human knowledge for better or for worse at, at the tips of your, your fingers 24 seven. And, and that, that is coming from a, a place of privilege. I I'm someone who has the money to afford a smartphone and Wi-Fi, and, and have all of those things. And, and I know that that's, that's a, a very privileged position to be in. Um, but that being said, you know, this is kind of an amazing time to to have these relationships yeah. because I can jump on my phone and and talk to someone in in India and it's not like when I was a kid and you know I would get a phone call from my cousin in the Caribbean and you would literally have to stop and say over on the telephone because of the gap yeah. And you didn't want to have crosstalk and it was insanely expensive. Like this is such a cool time to be alive in a lot of ways. In other ways, it's, it's pretty messed up, but I mean, the accessibility of, you know, even being able to support this club that I love, that I, I live and die with. It's, um, it's crazy. It's wonderful. It's terrifying. It's, it's all of the things. It is all of the things. 
Sam, Sean, thanks for coming on Faraway Fan. It has been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having us and letting us kind of, yeah, fire hose the information out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us about the club that we absolutely adore. And, Thank you so much. And maybe, maybe if you're interested, go and check out FC St. Paul. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, be Arsenal. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our what? <laughs> I, I feel in my heart like I could somehow talk to you. Like, come to the dark it's, side. Check it it's, out. Uh, it's not. Everyone needs a second favorite club. It's, it's at this stage. It's not going to take much. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have another conversation then, at some point. This is going to happen. Okay. This was actually a propaganda bomb. Is that that's why yeah. we're on here? One of our listeners uh, actually pointed it out to me one day. Oh, you left that little. Yeah. That little snippet at the end, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's on purpose. That's, that's a stinger. That's, <laughs> See if everybody's paying attention. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do leave us a review. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at FarawayFanPod. That's FarawayFanPod. Thanks again. <laughs>